in, in uh, verses 2 through 5 of Job chapter 1 uh, this morning. And we'll continue for as long as we need to during the course of this year. So, Mrs. Lawrence, I want to say it's always a blessing to see you here on Sundays too. I know that you haven't been able to get back often, but I know it's been about two or three weeks in a row. And um, it's just always good to see you and so many others who are making their way back through a difficult past two years. Verse 1, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. We looked at this last week, and we looked at two adjectives and two verbs that defined this man. He was blameless and upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. Mr. Major, I got to tell you, I just saw you. It's good to see you too. Praise God, after your surgery, you're back so quickly. And um, sounds like they were able to get all the cancer that they knew of. So praise God, glad you're here. Uh, This really was a brief description of the person of Job and his character last week. His person and his character. I'd like to take um, a time here to read through verse 5. And then outline for you what we're going to discuss about this man in a particular way when we're done reading. Verse 2, seven sons and three daughters were born to him. His possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and very many servants. Now, you may have read through this and you say, you sure it wasn't 7,115 sheep or 3,002 camels? Why such round numbers? This is actually, in wisdom literature, this is a stylistic point. These are probably numbers that were rounded down a little bit or rounded up a little bit. But for ease of reading, it certainly is establishing that this man was... A wealthy man goes on to say that that man was the greatest of all the men in the east. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day. And they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. I've studied quite a few people on what was happening with these feasts, and apparently this was a very tight-knit family that loved to celebrate birthdays. And it's assumed that even though the sons would invite the sisters to their homes on their day, their birthday, it's assumed that they would also celebrate their sister's birthday on their day is a family that loved the Lord like their daddy did and and they loved each other like he loved them. Verse 5, when the days of feasting had completed their cycle, Job would send and consecrate them, the children, rising up early in the morning and offering burnt offerings according to the number of all of them. For Job said, perhaps... My sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. And again in 
wisdom literature of this time, uh, the sons would have been also inclusive of his daughters. Uh, in this time, uh, men or heads of household or prospective heads of household really represented uh, the whole, but did not place any less value on those who are in their homes. This is just the style of writing wisdom literature at this particular point. So there's five verses. Last week we studied just one of a number of different um, ways in which the author of Job describes the man Job. Last week, his, the character of his person, and this morning I'd like to look at his perspective, Job's perspective. Last week, the character of his person. This week, Job's perspective. And we'll find that in verse 2, and, and then we're going to find in verses following, uh, Job's piety, and then Job's patience. His person, his perspective, his piety, and his patience by the time we're done with verse 5 next week. As we all know, Job is a book of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom is not merely knowledge. Wisdom is living the knowledge of God's will. It's being able to apply what we know because we know from the scripture that he that does the will of God abides forever. He's a saved person. He has the eternal life granted to him by Christ. In other words, the genuinely saved person longs to know the will of God and to persevere in living it. Job lived wisely. We most certainly investigated his character last week, and now we move on to his perspective. So what perspective can we all gain from Job? I want you to hold your finger here in Job chapter 1 and go to Ezekiel chapter 14. It's toward the end of your Old Testament. Just after the short book of Lamentations. I'll give you a moment to find it. And just before the book of Daniel. Ezekiel chapter 14. Israel is in... A, pretty deep trouble they've walked away from God they're they're suffering self-inflicted agony because of their disobedience it's a different kind of suffering that Job endured Job didn't endure suffering because of his sin but Israel was as a matter of fact if we look at verse 14 together God, through Ezekiel, speaks, and it says to the Israelites who are struggling because of their own sin, even though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in its midst by their own righteousness, they could only deliver themselves, declares the Lord. Go down to verse number 20 uh, together. Even though Noah, Daniel, and Job were in its midst, in the nation of Israel's midst, as I live, declares the Lord, they could not deliver either their son or their daughter. They would deliver only themselves by their righteousness. By their righteousness. In the midst of Israel's troubles, these souls were lifted up as examples of faith. 
people of faith, people that know the knowledge of God and they wisely fear him and live his will, right? These are the people that thrive in the midst of any struggle because they've been prepared to. Israel was at a time in their history when they needed to look back and take a long lingering look at the life of a soul like Job. A lack of wisdom led them to their trouble and their ignorance of knowing God personally kept them there. So how merciful is God years later to be able to say, hey, look, if you really want to know God's favor, consider these men. There's a lot of other men that Ezekiel could have written about, right? So you say, why these three men? There's a whole study as to why these three men, out of so many, right, could have been mentioned in the patriarchal times. And it's a good study if you want to have it on your own. But certainly we know that God gives these three men as examples of righteously living the will of God with proper perspective in their time. So what prepared someone like Job so well to live in a time of suffering? I don't want to belabor this point, but it was his doctrine. His understanding particularly of God. That's why we spent two full weeks, weeks ago, just studying theology proper or studying God and what Job knew about his God from what the author of Job has written. He understood the person of God as much as he possibly could. Grace compelled him to have a deepening relationship with God. The grace of God that fully compelled him to know God and adhere in relationship with him was only because Job fully trusted God. So for the believer that is prepared for appointed suffering, that's our context, right? Knowing God and then fearing him is certainly not faddish. It's a timeless characteristic for a life governed by the Spirit of God, for this understanding and relationship with the Lord is exactly that which tempers and guides our lives when things are good or difficult. That's it. It's a life forward in faith, regardless of our circumstances, that's born out of a very personal and deepening understanding of your Heavenly Father. We'll see it again this morning, for sure, and next week. But in the prologue of this book, I believe it's wise to notice the integrity of Job's life in his present. In his now, if you will. What's current about Job has everything to tell us about what he's done with his past. So really, someone who's prepared for appointed suffering has embraced the grace of God enough and its ability to deal with their past so they know how to live wisely in their now, in their present. 
We're not told much about Job's past. I think there's good reason for that. We know where he grew up, so to speak. But history or the Bible doesn't tell us much about the circumstances of his past. Now, why? For a genuine person of faith, our life is not defined or governed by our past. We know that from Philippians 1.6, right? He who began a good work in us will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Who defines us as Jesus Christ? And what the indwelling of the Spirit of God in us does to mold us into his likeness. And that began the moment we were saved. All by his grace. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul writes that when we're in Christ, we're new creatures and old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So you need to know Christ and what we know from Job's life is that he did place his faith in him. And he knew God's grace to live wisely in his now and not allow his past to define him. We live in a world that struggles with their past. Many still live there as victims of it. The longer you live and struggle with your past, the more you'll be the victim of it. But God's grace thrusts us forward towards Christ-likeness. We find Job in the prologue of this book thriving and living and living while he's thriving without much knowledge of his past, and that's okay. His personal pursuits of understanding his God have consumed him as he's been enabled by God's grace to allow what God is doing with him by faith in his present. To gain wisdom from this book, from the outset, we need to live like Job if we're going to be prepared for God-appointed suffering. We need to be found hotly pursuing God and a better understanding of his person and his character. That pursuit will compel us by grace to unhitch from anything or anyone that we've allowed by the power of the wicked one to drag us down and to drag us back, to slow us down in our pursuit of the beautiful, powerful, liberating person of God who makes all things new when we're in Christ. The person who struggles with perspective regarding their past will struggle with suffering of any kind in their present. God's grace had fully developed Job to live godly in his now, unhitched from anything detrimental to his past. No, I'm not saying the Bible speaks from silence for those of you that love theology. It just speaks. That's my point. And when the prologue starts by speaking of Job's now, it has everything to do about how he left his past as a non-influencer in his presence. We know what Job believed of God. We know of his intimate spiritual relationship with him. That's what we know. So therefore, we know he's not stuck or bitter about the past. 
We know he's not resting on even the success of his past or the success of his ancestors, let alone the failure of either. He lives his present with God and he fears God and we see how we need to mimic his model in our present. So I want to ask you real quick this morning, how are you with your past? Draw the circle around yourself. Don't be thinking about anyone next to you or in front of you or behind you. How are you with your past this morning? What about your past has been left unaddressed by the grace of God in Christ that keeps you from living for him in your now? Have you allowed God's grace to heal and strengthen your heart to the point where you can fully and confidently develop your understanding of him and intimately walk with him regardless of what's happened in the past, virtue or vice, victim or not. Fearing God in your presence, an indication that you've dealt well with your past has everything to do with how you will endure suffering when it invades your space. I was reading recently a favorite author of mine, and he mentions that so much of our faith has been rooted in reasoned principle and not doctrine. Hang on with me here, because I'm going to use a big word that's being discussed out there, but I'll explain the word in relationship to this perspective matter of past. He says, so much of Christianity is on the verge or has already crossed over to being more dialectical than doctrinal. Pastor Tim, that's a big word, dialectical. What is that? Hang on with me here. It's defined as a discourse between two or more people holding different points of view about a subject, but wishing to establish the truth through reasoned argumentation. This author says that much of Christianity has already crossed over the line, and they're more dialectical than they are rooted in doctrine. What is thus saith the Lord? But we know Job was a man of doctrine. He was not a dialectical kind of guy. He knew the truth of the person of God, and that was enough. He didn't have to establish through reasoned argumentation what he understood about him. Job didn't have vlogs. He didn't have blogs. He didn't have podcasts. He didn't have a library, and he didn't even have this. In codex form in book form. But yet he was a wise man that feared God and he lived wisely, able to live the will of God because he knew the God of that will. He trusted the Almighty. He rested in the character of Yahweh, his Lord, in his present, so he knew how to do the same in the midst of the fire of trial. So how are you with your past? And, and I would encourage you just to take a long lingering look at what God's grace does with your past as soon as you're born again. And remember how special God's grace is in dealing with your past. Not only, not only your unsaved past, but even as a saved person, your recent past that may have been difficult. How does God's grace continue to compel us to press forward 
You only press forward undistracted by circumstance and uniquely attracted to God and knowing his character, his nature, and developing a relationship with his person. That's what consumes the spirit-filled believer. We're always being compelled by forces and circumstances around us to turn, right, and look, and to, and to look back, to distract, always, me too, about every hour of every day. But Job, his perspective, try not to look around too much or look back, but always look up and keep growing. Keep growing. I would encourage you because there's hundreds of pasts in our presence this morning. I know there are some that struggle more with their past than others. I would just encourage you to, to get before the Lord and, and just examine what God does with the pasts of people in Scripture after they come to know Jesus. I could spend about six or seven hours just practically applying what I'm saying just to my own life. Peakable in circumstances. That even though we say we're compelled to grow in Christ like this and we're growing and we're growing and we're growing, there's always a but. But this person in my past. But this happened to me in my past. But, and all I'm saying is there's a reason why the Holy Spirit of God compelled the author of Job to just in the prologue write about Job's now. Right? There's another perspective of Job's demonstrated in this passage. I'll introduce it and we'll close in prayer. God wants us to know, as Job knew, we have is in our presence, in our present, a lot of things, a lot of good stuff Job had a unique perspective and relationship to things and stuff and personal resources that we already read about. Uh, apparently, he's number one in the uh, Near East Fortune 500 magazine on wealth. He's the guy. Right? He's the richest. He's the greatest in the East. So he, he knows what it means to have stuff. But when we're walking with God... However much we have is not the fruit of our own ingenuity and nobility. How little we have is not the consequence of our inability. This whole book is about God and what do we do with God during a time of appointed suffering? So what has God given to Job? There's three things that we'll focus on next week that he's given that we've already read. He's given him a posterity, 10 children, 10 godly children. He's given him possessions and he's given him promotion. Because Job knew God, he knew that all these things had come from God 
and not uniquely from Job's ability to walk right. God, in his sovereignty, just was pleased to give these things to Job, and Job knew where they came from. But this wisdom literature is not written to teach us how Job gained it all. It's written for us to own the perspective that God gave it all. Remember, God's impartial. That's one of the attributes of his goodness. He asks us to be as impartial as we can as we minister to one another. Remember the situation in James chapter 2 where the wealthier of the church were treating the poor of the church in an ungodly manner. Those believers, if they were saved, lost perspective from what they also read in James chapter 1, or was read to them in James chapter 1, where God is the father of lights, he's the father of creation, and he's the giver of every good gift, regardless of how much you're given. God gave it. And understanding this helps us to remain focused on the theos of our theology, the God of our Bible, our faith, How clear does the writer of Job get with us on this perspective? Read Job chapter 1, verses 21 and 22 as we close this morning. Look at verse 20. Then Job arose. This is after everything but his own health had been taken from him. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell to the ground and worshiped. So by this point, his posterity, his possessions, and his promotion that we'll look at next week had all been removed from him by God-appointed suffering. And his response is, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord did what? The Lord gave. And the Lord has taken away Blessed be the name of the Lord. And through all of this, Job did not sin, nor did he ever blame God. So God is not the reason why you have a lot of stuff. You're not the reason why you have a lot of stuff. And you're not the reason why you might not have a lot of stuff. God's impartial. He desires for you to know him as your God, as his child, as the giver of anything and everything that you have, regardless of the amount. So Job had perspective in relationship to posterity, possessions, and promotion because he knew God. Job didn't feel he had earned the right to speak into anyone's life because of what he had or because of all that he enjoyed, because it had been gifted to him. And he would strive to remain as satisfied with everything and without anything. Because posterity, possessions, and promotion did not define him. What an incredible perspective. His satisfaction was never with the gift, but with the giver. 
So he was always satisfied with whatever he was given. Both salvation and wealth are all the Lord's to do what he wishes with both. I need to develop this more next week. And we will, by God's grace. But just remember these two perspectives and maybe meditate on them this week before we regather. How's God mentoring you in a relationship to your past, the perspective of your past? Before you were saved and after you're saved. I really do believe there's some believers in here that still have issues with things that happened in your life after you got saved. We need to allow God's grace to teach us how to handle those. Especially if they're distracting us from pursuing and knowing God and thriving in our now, which is his now. And there still may be some of you who maybe are recently saved that are still struggling over some things that happened in your past or that you did in your past. And we want you to know how God's grace handled those too so you can fully enjoy him now and his will for you now. And then a relationship to stuff, special gifts, posterity, possessions, position, promotion. What about that perspective? Can we grow by God's grace to the point of our maturity where none of that defines who we are? None of that gives us the right to step into somebody's life and tell them how to live life. Because it could all be gone in an hour. So who defines then who we are and how we live in that present when it's all stripped away? Do you still have authority to thrive in that now of having nothing? It's all in God focus. This is what I'm learning from the life of Job that I need to know my God much, much better than I do now. Because in the 20th and 21st century that I've lived in, so much of what Christianity has been has been defined by possessions, posterity, and promotion. The people that had all three were the people that could best thrive in doing the will of God, and, and that's wrong. That's wrong. Those that had all three could best help those who didn't have any of the three thrive, and, and boy, that's wrong. Our identity is found in God and who he is in us and through us as we learn it from his word, okay? All right, this gets really good, so hope you come back next week. All right, let's pray together. Father in heaven, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity we have to look into the perfect law of liberty, your word, not just be faithful hearers, but doers. Help us, Lord, all to leave craving a better understanding of who you are in your person, 
in your character, in your revealed will, so that we might not be full of head knowledge, but wisdom of how to live your character and your will with a proper perspective. We love you, Lord. We love the fact that you've not only saved us, you've placed us in this body to love each other in Christ Jesus, to care for each other in Christ Jesus, to live the character of God among one another for Christ's sake so that we can minister outside of ourselves to those who are lost without Christ in our communities. Just help us, Lord, to continue to grow in understanding who you are and how to do your will together in Christ's name.